Please sit down. So we come in our journey through the Ten Commandments to the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And as uh, Jan read to us earlier, and we might think, well, we're not guilty of that, but actually, uh, if it says, you shall not look lustfully at someone, um, there's a chance that many of us, by Jesus' standards, by what Jesus said, that we perhaps have committed adultery. If not physically, then certainly in our heart and mentally. Of course, the good news is that in Jesus there is forgiveness for whatever we have done that is wrong. But that's not so much what I want to talk about today, because I want to talk about honouring marriage and how we can do that. God has given us all a sex drive and properly controlled and expressed within a marriage. It's beautiful, it's fantastic. But if we express it outside of marriage, it is actually destructive, detrimental to our own health as as human beings, and it affects society. And it affects us as human beings emotionally, spiritually and in every way. And God wants us to use sex as a tool for building marriage, not destroying it. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Husbands and wives be faithful to each other. God will judge those who are immoral and commit adultery. You know, it's easier to get married than it is to stay married. And in today's world that is particularly true when the values that basically say anything goes, there's an entertainment organisation obsessed with sex and sex is used to sell everything from cars to bananas, there's birth control, constant bombardment by the media. We cannot remain pure unless we establish some guidelines for our life. And apparently Reader's Digest did a study and said 50% of all husbands and probably 35% of all wives have committed adultery. The sad thing is, the truth is, that it actually happens among Christians too. That as Christians we aren't actually much better than the world. But let's go directly to the six steps uh, on how to honour our marriage Let's hope this works this time. So, the first step is to make a commitment to God's standards. Good, it works. Regardless of our past, regardless of any failures we say today, we're going to make a commitment to maintain God's standards. All that means is we agree with God about what he says about sex. Because God's standards haven't changed from when he first set them to today. The Bible is quite clear that sex is for marriage only, not before marriage, not outside of marriage. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a person keep his way pure? What does the answer say? By living according to society standards, by living according to culture. No, it says, but by living according to your word. And God's standard is very clear. Adultery is never an option. Under no circumstances is it okay. There is no justification for it, no matter what our background is. Joseph in the Old Testament uh, was, well, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. And actually by the world standards he had every reason in the world to give in to that temptation. He was young, he was virile, he was single, 
He was in a foreign country. It was an acceptable practice in that society. She obviously wanted it. His desires probably wanted it. And then when you look at his family background, he'd been abused. His mother died when he was young. His father was overindulgent to him. His brothers hated him, sold him into slavery. He had a terrible family life. For every reason today why society would say, oh, well, that's okay, look, just look at his background. But what did he say? He said, I will not sin against my God. And he turned and ran. And that's what we need to do too, to make a commitment to God's standards. Now I've heard people say, they've actually said to me, my, my wife, my husband's not meeting my needs. That is no excuse. Proverbs says, be faithful to your own wife. Give your love to her alone. Not a suggestion, a commandment. And if we're married or if we're going to get married, we need to publicly affirm God's standard. That's the first step to protect our marriage. To say to our husband or our wife that we have decided that by God's grace, regardless of what they might do, the decisions they might make, the choices other people make, they, they make or what happens in our marriage, we will not be unfaithful to them because it is a choice. It's our decision. We will not go against God's standards. We will remain faithful to them. And make sure that our friends, our relatives, the people we work with are in no doubt where we stand on this issue. Now everyone here needs to know that I am hopelessly in love with Sharon, my wife. And I want there to be no doubt about that, where I stand on the issue that I am not available. Not that anybody would think I was available. (laughs) Or would want me, but I'm not, you know. Because it's important, isn't it? It's important that everybody knows where I stand. That I am off the market. Don't even think about flirting with me. That's important. It is important. You know, we can laugh about it and that's fair enough. But it is important that everybody knows where I stand on that issue. So that's it. Make a commitment to God's standards. The second is magnify the consequences. Remind ourselves of the devastation and destruction that is caused by sexual sin. Proverbs 6 verse 32 says, The one who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys his own soul. It really does damage our emotions. Sexual sin damages our emotions like no other sin does. Because the shame just doesn't seem to go away. The sense of loss to everyone involved is enormous. And in that passage that Jeanne read earlier, it says, if your eye causes you to sin, it's better to lose an eye than lose your soul. Proverbs 6 verse 26 says, Adultery would cost a man that all he has. In the Old Testament, Esau sold his birthright just for um, some food. The fact is that people today are selling their life away for one moment of pleasure. The cost of maintaining and restoring and repairing marriages and making it work can be high, it can be hard work. We fall in love, we think it's going to be easy. It's not easy, but the cost of adultery is even higher. So we need to magnify the consequences. And people say, and I've, again I've heard people say it to me, God wants me to be happy. And, and this was somebody who had um, committed adultery and was now living with the person they committed adultery with and was going to marry them. And he says, well, God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. Well, that may be true, but actually God wants us to be happy. That's why he gave us this commandment. He knows better than we do that adultery is actually ultimately selfishness. It's not love. 
It's saying, I'm going to put my needs and what I think is right and my pleasure of everything else ahead of what God says, ahead of what it will do to my husband or wife, ahead of what it will do to my family, ahead of, it, or ahead of what it will do to his or her family. It's basically saying, forget the world, I'm doing what I want to do, and that is selfishness. It is not love. And adultery is never love. So we make a commitment to God's standards, we magnify the consequences, oops, well there we are, we've got two, two for the price of one there, maintain our marriage. We need to maintain it, we need to grow our relationship with our husband or wife, which will reduce the pull and attraction of adultery. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 3 says, A man should fulfil his duty as a husband, a wife should fulfil her duty as a wife, and each should satisfy the other's needs. What needs are we talking about? Well, I'm going to talk about five love languages in a moment, but I I, I saw something that was done by a non-Christian that said the five top needs of most men and the top five needs of most women. The men, well, this was it, sexual fulfilment, recreational companionship, an attractive spouse, domestic support and admiration. Apparently that's what we men want. And the top five needs of most women are affection, conversation, honesty and openness, financial support and family commitment. Now, if you look at those lists, is there any similarity between the two? The answer is actually no. It's no wonder we have to work at our marriage when the wife wants one thing, the husband wants another thing, and you've got to work at it to make it work, and you've got to grow that relationship to get away from the attraction and pull of adultery. So the solution is to get serious, to get down to the full-time business of learning what it is that our husband or wife needs and determining that we're going to meet those needs to the very best of our ability. They may not be what we want, but we will try to meet them. And if you've ever read The Five Life Languages by um, Gary Chapman, How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate, he says that there are five love languages. The first is words of affirmation, saying kind words to your husband or wife, or... The love language number two is quality time, really spending time with them. Number three is receiving gifts, that we, we, we know we're loved when we receive gifts. Love languages, acts, number four is the acts of service, doing things for them. And love language number five is physical touch. And what he says is it's like a language that we have to learn. And in those love languages, there is one, maybe two, that is really high on our list that says if that person does that, I will feel loved. The others are nice, but actually this one thing that if they do that for me, if they spend time with me, or if they praise me, or if they give me presents or whatever, I really feel loved. And like learning a love language, learning any language, it can be difficult if our love language, what we need, is different to our husband or our wife. We need to learn it and meet their needs. You know, when we stand before a pastor and we commit our life to another person in marriage, we are committing ourselves to an exclusive relationship. We're committing ourselves to a man and woman and saying, yeah, I'm going to love you and I'm going to try to meet your needs as you're going to try to meet my needs. And that is what it's about. And one of the things that you need to do in your marriage to uh, maintain it is to see yourself as your Husband or wife's best friend. Karen and I are best friends. Why? 
Well, actually, Mary Alder, the wife of Alan Alder, the actor, said one time, it's really easy to leave your spouse, it's not easy to leave your best friend. And how do you build a friendship? You build it by spending time together. We cannot be best friends with someone that we don't see or spend time with. We need to spend time together. So we maintain our marriage and we manage our mind, number four. You know, we don't just fall into immorality. There is really no such thing as a one-night stand. It might seem like that, but it's, it's not like that because we're not one day a moral, upright person and tomorrow we fall into immorality. It doesn't happen that way. There is a process. The first thing we do is we accept sinful thoughts into our mind and we look at somebody and the battle for any temptation in our life begins in our mind. It starts here. And we need to turn our back on lustful desires and give our positive attention to goodness, integrity, love and peace, which means give our attention to our husband or wife. The second step is emotional, non-physical involvement. To assume that all is well between a man and a woman because there's no physical contact is a mistake. We're fooling ourselves. So we don't look at another person other than our spouse for the deep emotional needs that we all have. And then step three is that physical involvement where it actually turns into adultery. And then step four, we rationalise the affair. We can deceive ourselves and say it's okay, but it's not. We need to manage our minds. And then we need to maintain proper relationships. Now, most affairs occur between close personal friends, co-workers or even family members. And since we obviously have to deal with people every day of our lives, how do we maintain proper relationships in in a casual relationship? Well, firstly, we don't listen to a member of the opposite sex tell us his or her marriage problems. Now, we're so tempted to think we can be a good listener and sympathetic, but do not do it with somebody of the opposite sex. Do not listen. And then secondly, well, first of all, to women, do not go fishing for compliments. Um, It may be that you dyed your hair blue and purple and yet your husband has yet to comment on it. I I made brownie points this morning because Sharon's come in a new top and I mentioned it. I I noticed, so I've got brownie points. It it is unusual, yes. Um, But I've been thinking about this this morning, so I've got it right today. Um, But we mustn't look outside of our marriage for those deep emotional needs and men if you're not sure what to say it's better to say nothing in terms of compliments other than to your your wife uh, than to give the wrong signal we need to be careful when we are having relationships with people of the opposite sex what we say what we're looking for from them well you need to watch out for these behaviours in our life be serious and take it seriously and then minimise the opportunity. We don't want to get stung and stay away from the bees. Don't place ourselves in situations where we know we can be tempted. Recognise the circumstances where we get turned on, that weaken our standards, that cause us to be aroused or stimulated. We need to be alert and be aware of them. 1 Corinthians 10 says, Be careful. If you're thinking, I'd never behave like that, let this be a warning to you. For you may, you too may fall into sin. It's so easy to think, oh, I'd never do that. But given the right circumstances, 
We can, any one of us, because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, as it says in Jeremiah. We can fool ourselves very easily. When we say it can never happen to us, the fact is none of us here are immune. Given the right situation, I, you or anybody else is capable of anything given the right circumstances. We have to put guards around our life, set up guidelines and standards to keep us doing what is right. And then in this area, we need to be so careful. And when we are away from home, perhaps on business travel or something else, we need to be so careful about what we see and what we hear. And we need to choose friends carefully. It's well documented that a lot of affairs occur between people who know each other, they've been good friends. And we better make sure that our friends, our best friends, are those who are strongly committed to their marriages as we are to ours. As I said earlier, in a sense, by Jesus' standards, many of us may well have committed adultery in our hearts and in our minds by what we've seen and the way we've looked. In Jesus, of course, all these Ten Commandments, when we fail, there is forgiveness. And whatever we've done in the past, however we've let our minds be affected, there is forgiveness in Jesus. He went to the cross to die for us, that we might know that forgiveness. And if I've said anything today that has affected you, or you know that something in your past that no one else has known about, that you've never told anybody, talk to somebody about it, there's me, there are other people to talk to. But be um, assured that in Jesus, nothing is outside of the scope of his forgiveness. He loves us. And we're going to come around the table in a minute, which the elements show what Jesus did, that we might know forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that whatever we've done physically or even emotionally or in our minds, we know that there is forgiveness. We know that you died for us, that you have paid the penalty for all those things that we have done wrong. And we thank you. And as we come around the table, Lord, I pray that we might know afresh your forgiveness in our lives. And know that there is always second chances, third chances with you. You'd never give up on us. So thank you, Lord. Amen.